If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. So today we are actually reading Psalms 42 and 43 in a series of meditations on these two Psalms I've entitled The Dark Night of the Soul. Uh, now, I know that sounds kind of dramatic. The Dark Night of the Soul sounds like a line from Shakespeare. Um, but it's totally fitting uh, when you read the way that the psalmist expresses himself in his experience. Uh, these two Psalms, what they capture for us is somebody who's overcome with deep discouragement and distress and depression, as if the person is experiencing a dark night. Uh, now, of course, night is always dark, but every once in a while, uh, when, when the sky is cloudy, it's so dark in such a way where even the stars and the moon are blotted out and that uh, nothing luminous flickers. It's, it almost seems to, to block out any kind of light altogether. And sometimes in life, those are the experiences we go through. Times when we are in great despair and distress and sadness and grief. Uh, the Puritans use this uh, term, melancholy. Um, and sometimes that's what we experience. This is what we're calling the dark night. And we're going to take four weeks at the beginning of January to think about this theme of despair and distress and depression and desperation um, and to turn our attention to hear what the Bible has to speak to us about it. You know, we are in quite uh, literally a season where the nights are darker. Um, and so some of you, uh, if you're like me, simply by the change in seasons, by uh, the darkness in the sky, your mood is already prone to uh, sadness and, and sorrow. Uh, but others, you know, we collectively find ourselves in a season that's just been really hard. Let's be honest, the past few years have been really, really hard. You know, I saw this joke on the internet where a person said, uh, who knew 2020 would be a trilogy? 2020, 2021, and 2022. All the same struggles and sufferings of the previous years, they also come into this year. You know, your problems don't care that it's a new year. They're not going to simply disappear because you got a new calendar. And this year has no respect for the expiration date on the circumstances of life. You, you want this hardship, this thing that's frustrating, this relationship that's straining. You want an expiration date, December 31st, 2021. But the new year doesn't care about your expiration dates. How do we endure? How do we persevere through the dark night of the soul? And the Bible certainly gives us a few how-tos, but more importantly, the Bible gives us a who-to. Not simply how to overcome, but who to look to, who to cling to, who to hope in when the night is dark and the soul is downcast and disheartened. So we're looking at Psalms 42 and 43. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's word and receive God's word as an act of reverent worship unto the Lord. Psalms 42 and 43. To the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. 
Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls the deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre. O God, my God, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Would you pray with me once more? Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the honesty of your word, and we're thankful that by your spirit we receive him now. We pray, O oh Lord, that our understanding of your word would be beyond the powers of a literary analysis, although this is certainly a beautiful poem and a beautiful expression of a sorrowful, despairing heart. Uh, but it is more than that. It is your word that you've given to us. And I pray that we would receive it as such. We would be encouraged uh, by it as such. And we, your people, would be equipped and built up because having heard from you, O oh Lord, our souls and our hearts, respond, because to receive your word is to receive life itself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, there are three things that we all have to orient ourselves around in understanding the dark night of the soul. Uh, the first is this. Uh, some of you have been through this kind of season, a season of great despair and distress. Uh, but you have to know that there's no promise in the gospel that if you've gone through it once, you'll never go through it again. It's not like the dark season of the soul. The dark night of the soul is something that you pass by, you see it in your rearview mirror, and it'll never appear again. Just because you've gone through it once doesn't mean that you're safe from it for the rest of your life. So it's a wake-up call. It's a warning. But second, you got to know this, that if you've never experienced this kind of dark night of the soul, you must also know there's no promise in the gospel that you're spared of it entirely. You know, there's no guarantee that such a dark night will never come upon you or visit you in the future. You know, in all likelihood, you do have a scheduled appointment with it. You just don't know when that is. But third, if you're in that dark night now, if you are experiencing this very present hard reality, you must know there is promise in the gospel. Promise that you can endure and get through it. That the gospel, this good news of Jesus, gives you hope that in the darkest of nights, it will pass and a new light will come in the new morning. You know, we have to be aware of these three things. To have a sobering view. If you've gone through it, there's no promise you won't go through it again. If you've never gone through it, there's a high chance you will one day. 
And if you're there now, the gospel offers you tremendous hope. The Bible affirms these realities, the realities of life in a fallen, dark, hurting, broken world. And when we read this psalm, it's just so honest. I mean, you don't even need to do an analysis of it. Just read the words and you can already sense that the author is going through something difficult and something painful. And he puts words to it, right? We read in verse three, my tears have been my food day and night. Those are tears of sorrow, not tears of joy. And day and night, he is crying, he is weeping, and people are looking at his situation, and it says all the day long, people are asking him, where is your God? In verse 7, he feels like somebody's drowning, somebody who is drowning. He cries out to God, your breakers, your waves have gone over me. I'm suffocating, I can barely breathe, God. And then he starts asking God questions, questions that almost sound like accusations, don't they? Verse 9, why have you forgotten me? And why do you go, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? When you go into Psalm 43, he asks something similar in verse 2. Why have you rejected me? And then three times he asks this question: Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? These are not the words of someone whose life is going great. If anything, this is a man whose life is falling apart. It's barely held together by the threads. And for some of us, this is exactly what we're experiencing and what we're going through. So this author, the psalmist, asks God questions. He cries out to God. He complains about his situation and his circumstances. But here's what you need to know. These are not the words of a man accusing God. Why have you forsaken me and rejected me? Why have you forgotten me? Why are my enemies taunting me? These are, these are not the accusations and the words of an unbeliever, but of a Christian, of a believer. We read at the very beginning of this psalm, a masculine of the sons of Korah. Now the sons of Korah were those in the Old Testament who were Levites put in charge of performing music in the temple. And that little detail is important because it means the author of this psalm is a believer, is someone in relationship with God. And yet, when you look at these words, I mean, these are pretty sharp and piercing words. But the honest struggle recorded here are the honest struggles and yet the welcomed struggles of a believer. Now, that's strange to us because when we think of the Psalms, we think of all of the cheerful, jubilant, joyful Psalms. They're all upbeat. The Psalms are often like a very uh, overly enthusiastic Sunday praise leader, always telling us to clap your hands and sing like you mean it and lift up your voices. Isn't that what the Psalms generally read like? Psalm 146, for example. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will sing, pray, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. We're so used to the, the, the Psalms being these uh, calls, these exhortations to praise. But then we get this kind of Psalm, these kinds of Psalms that describe for us intense suffering and distressing circumstances. And the question is, what do we do with them? And we need to remember that God has recorded these for us for a reason, that the Holy Spirit inspired people to write these kinds of Psalms for a reason. And one thing that the presence of these psalms do is that they free us from any kind of fear or shame that is often associated with having a faith that struggles or a faith that stumbles. We all want this Hebrews 11 kind of faith. 
the hall of fame kind of faith. And yet here we see a man who is crying out, lamenting, questioning, complaining that life is tough and difficult. But let me tell you why that's so important for us. Because the Psalms present us a vision of the Christian faith, not as we expect it to be, but as it really is. And that's a vision of a Christian faith where struggle and suffering and crying and complaint have room and space. You see, any vision of Christian faith that says there is no room for that is actually unbiblical faith. The idea that real faith should always be cheerful and joyful and that you should thank God for all the circumstances, even the hard things in your life. That doesn't align and accord with the real faith of the real people in the Bible. So in that sense, the presence of Psalms 42 and 43 is God's divine permission to struggle and to wrestle before him. You know, God never calls believers to have a faith that's without blemish and without wrinkle. By the time we get to heaven, we'll stumble into heaven. Our faith will have all kinds of cracks on its side, chipped edges, peeling paint. It will be discolored. And that'll describe the best among us, those with the most faith. And this is because we will have all taken a few tumbles in this life, weathered through some storms, traversed through some valleys before we enter the kingdom. And you have to know if that's your experience, it's okay. It's okay. If this describes you this morning, if you feel like, man, my faith is something that I'm embarrassed about because I've been put to the test and I've been scorched in some trials of fire and you can still smell that burnt aroma off of me, you have to know this morning that God says, it's okay. Because it's not your faith that needs to be without blemish and wrinkle. It was never about the caliber of your faith or the measure of your faith. It's the one you place your faith in. He must be without blemish and wrinkle, perfect and flawless in every way. Because it was never about the strength of your faith that saves you, but the strength of the Savior in whom you place your faith that saves you. This is why the Bible is able to see that even mustard seed-sized faith is more than enough. And therein lies the beauty of these two Psalms, that God himself is giving you both the permission and the parameters to express your discouragement, to be real and honest about your distress, about your weariness and about your weakness, the uncertainties and fears about the future, the present hopelessness you feel about your kids, the concerns you have for physical ailments, all of these kinds of things. And God gives us this picture of a struggling yet sanctified believer and his song in these two Psalms. You know, the Psalter, the 150 Psalms, they actually begin um, in Psalm 1. And the Psalms are broken up into five books. And Psalm 1 begins book 1. And we read there uh, this wonderful passage that many of us are familiar with. Uh, when it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked and stands not in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, right? But then we read in verse three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And this is uh, how the Psalter starts. This is the type of believer we want to be. One who is satisfied and nourished, planted right by the streams of God's living waters, a strong tree, fit and 
big and powerful. But most of us don't look anything like this picture. We look a lot more like Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for a flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. We are thirsty and we are parched and we're looking for any kind of living water to quench us. But here's a question. You have this believer that we all want to be like in Psalm 1, the believer that we're like in Psalm 42. The question is, is the believer in Psalm 42 any less spiritual? Is he weaker in faith because of his sadness and his despair? Is he any less mature of a believer because he's being honest that he's in a dark place? Not at all. In fact, God does him great honor by taking his words and making them scripture. I mean, how inspiring and affirming is that to a sufferer that God authorizes these words to help you articulate your experiences, to help you navigate the realities of hopelessness and anguish that you're going to face in life. And the fact that you can do it with God's permission. I mean, this liberates you to see the world and to see your own life and see your own sufferings with brutal honesty. Because it means that as a Christian, Yes, there is rejoice. Again, I always say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. But there is space, there is time, there is a place where you can experience something hard and tragic and then proceed to say in sanctified faith, man, this really sucks. This is really hard. God, why is this happening? And when you say such a thing, you don't have to be afraid that the heavens will open up and that God will come and rebuke you and admonish you and say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you believing more that verse everyone always says to themselves that I'm working out all things for your good? Why aren't you believing that more? I said, in between tears, God gives you the scriptures and he says, here, use these words to help lament and cry and worry and be afraid. You see, Christian faith is not the same as ignorant, naive, foolish optimism. It's kind of sad that Christianity has gotten that wrapped. The thought that somehow uh, what it means to be a Christian is to look at a glass half empty and to be commanded by God to say that it's half full, to receive uh, a bushel full of lemons that are real sour, And to be told, oh, well, God's telling me I have to make lemonade. (laughs) To be enduring through a lot of hardship that is preventing you from sleeping well, eating well. And then to believe that, hey, you are too blessed to be stressed. No, the Psalms, God invites you to be honest about your life. And he says, you know what? Strong faith is not about propping yourself up so you never fall or crumble. That's not strong faith. That's strong-headed faith. That's reliance on your own strength and power. You know what strong faith is? Strong faith is being able to let go, to crumble, and believe that God will catch you. Strong faith is to believe that if even if you let go of your grip, God's grip on you is stronger. So be honest and open and confess. Now, in these two Psalms, There's a pattern. It's a pattern of three things. The psalmist laments, 
He cries out, he complains, but then he keeps returning back to this one refrain. You may have recognized it as we read through it. He honestly voices and expresses his fears and frustrations, uh, but he doesn't get swallowed up in his despair. He keeps coming back. He keeps landing to this refrain. We see it in chapter 42, verse 5 and 11, and then again in 43, verse 5. Where the psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And this anchor is so important. Because when life is tossing you to and from in the chaos of uncertainty, this is your anchor. This is your harbor that your soul needs to continually return to to find rest and refuge. It was for the psalmist, it can be for you. And we see what happens is the psalmist begins speaking to himself. You know, how did the psalm begin? 42 verse 1 began, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Who is he speaking to? Oh God. He's speaking to God. But somewhere in the lamenting, somewhere in the complaining, somewhere in the why have you forgotten me and rejected me and why are enemies taunting me and why am I crying all the time? Somewhere in there, he stops. He presses the brake on this self-feeding feedback loop of spiraling into more and more frustration and fear and loneliness and discouragement, anxiety. He presses the brake and he changes who he's talking to. And so we read in verse five, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? He begins talking to himself, preaching to himself. He interrupts himself. He interrupts his own thoughts. And he doesn't do this by denying what he's feeling. He doesn't do it by telling himself it's no big, of a, no big deal. He doesn't minimize the issues, nor does he turn a blind eye to them. He doesn't pep talk himself out of it or rebuke himself for having little faith. He comes face to face with reality. He recognizes that his soul is downcast. His soul has sunk low. He's fallen into turmoil. But then, but then he resolves. He resolves to hope in God. You ever see, there are these movies where um, the main character, um, is beaten up, is in the gutter. Life is hard. They're defeated. They've been knocked down. But then in this moment, this make it or break it moment, they resolve to stand up and fight. They resolve to not lose. They resolve to, you know, make themselves better. And so what do they do? The director always kind of zooms in on their fists and they clench it. And in clenching, it's this universal power, this universal sign of, of I'm, I'm not giving up the fight, right? Think of a boxer who is knocked down and the ref is going, whoa, you know, 10, 9, he's counting, right? And they're, and they're, they're hearing it and there's a, and everything is silent and they're sitting there and, and, and everything slows down. You hear the breathing. And then you see their fist clench. Verse 5, verse 11, and verse 5 in Psalm 43 is this fist clenching moment. My soul is downcast. It's that turmoil within me. I can let the circumstances of life keep me down or I can resolve. And what does he choose to do? He chooses to resolve. You see, it's so very important, important to interrupt yourself sometimes, to speak to yourself. 
Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welsh preacher in the 20th century, and he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And he writes uh, this, which I found very uh, helpful. He writes, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They are bringing back the problems of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. And what does he speak? The life-giving words of gospel promise, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. The psalmist doesn't hope for a better situation. He doesn't hope that his problems disappear. He doesn't hope for better days to come quickly. He hopes in God and what he knows to be true. And so he actually says, for I shall again praise him. I'm not going to let the circumstances keep me down and in despair and in distress. I'm going to hope in God. Who is God? My salvation and my God. And it's really important here, this covenantal language, my salvation, my God. It's covenantal language you and I need to learn. You see, the psalmist had a view of this, had a picture of what covenant with God looks like. But we as believers in the new covenant, in the New Testament, we have a greater vision of this covenant. God is a God of salvation, but what is his salvation? It's far more than simply that God saved you from something, but it's that God saved you to something. The promise of the covenant in this salvation is that salvation is far more than deliverance from the ultimate dark night, but salvation is deliverance to God himself. A salvation, a deliverance from the night and to the light, from hell and to himself, where God now promises to be your God. And this becomes the reason to hope in him. By sending his son into the world, by sending his son to the cross to deal with your sins, God sent his son into the dark night to come after you. You see, the gospel says that God himself the one who exists as light only, was willing to enter into the darkness, into the dark places, enter into the darkest night. The experience of the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43, although we read to them, we relate to them, Jesus Christ, when he came, took the full range of what these two psalms mean and he lived it out. He experienced Psalms 42 and Psalm 43 to the fullest degree. He went through the dark night so that you might be spared the darkest night of your soul. The psalmist's soul was cast down. And we hear the words of the Savior say in the garden, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. The psalmist complains, my enemies are around me and they're taunting me. And we remember that there on the cross, Jesus was mocked and taunted by the Roman soldiers. The psalmist is asking God, why have you forgotten me? And they echo the piercing words of Christ on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus underwent the loneliest abandonment 
the greatest suffering, the most perverse injustice, and the darkest night for you. And in enduring that dark and lonely night, forsaken by his Father for our sins, he has assured us that you will neither be forsaken nor forgotten, no matter how dark and lonely the night gets for you. It's not a denial of the darkness of the night. The promised hope that there is one with you in it. And because he is my salvation and my God, it's a promise that his presence is with you. You know, dear friends, if we see in the gospel one who is willing to enter the darkness for you, how can we not hope in him? Where else would we place our trust? Where else could we place our trust? For there is only one who has drawn near to you, so hope in him. And my encouragement is simply this. Learn, learn this resolve. Learn this verse by heart to preach to yourself again and again. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone to bed with this prayer on my lips, repeating it again and again and again until I believe it. You know, that's what the psalmist did. Isn't it interesting that three times he says it? You would think the psalmist after once would learn his lesson, maybe after two times, maybe after three times, but he's repeating it again and again. He's preaching to himself the hope in God again and again until he believes it. It's amazing that God would give us his word which is permission for you to lament and cry and complain and to be in sorrow and sadness. But he gives you that permission because then he then gives you the promise of hope. That he is with you in the darkest of nights because he has gone through the dark night for you. And he who entered that dark night, he will be with you in your dark night until he sees you through to the glory of the morning dawn. Let's pray.